What if we could reimagine the traditional notion of a high flyer? Hey friends, welcome back. Welcome to the High Flyers podcast, where we do reimagine a high flyer, showcase relatable role models and their journey in work and life, including their sunrise, magic moments, hustle, and much, much more to help you achieve your potential, become your best self, and continue to be 1% better every single day. I'm your host, Vidi Tagawal, and let's get started. Welcome back to episode 7 of the Curiosity series. Today I'm joined by Cal Jimshidi, founder of The Letter of Intent. This Curiosity series takes you inside exciting topics, companies, and industries, showcasing how they started, what they do, how it can benefit you as a user, the unknowns, and an inside view of the industry, and what a career for you could look like. Topics we've covered include education, publishing, leadership, medical technology, angel investing, and many more, with each designed to provide you a good understanding in 30 minutes, and we air these on the show two to three times a month alongside the weekly episodes. So that basically had like maybe 20 or 30 of my close friends were, were reading that, um, and it didn't really grow, but people enjoyed it. Um, and then that's why I think I sort of fizzled out doing publishing that. So it's like doing the weekly, I, was, I became very inconsistent very quickly. That's Cal Jimshidi, founder of Letter of Intent, a finance newsletter read by 6,000 subscribers focused on business activity in Australia. This conversation will take you inside how and why Cal started this newsletter, being anonymous at the beginning, utilizing the power of LinkedIn, creating a habit for the readers and serving utility, defensibility, media trends, and we end with some of your community questions. Please enjoy. Cal Jimshidi, welcome to the show. Hey, mate. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad we can finally do this. We've been talking about this for a while, so thanks to our busy schedules, we finally found a slot to do this. Yeah, yeah. busy schedules, and uh, obviously it doesn't help when I'm in, I'm in London right now with the time zones, but uh, yeah, glad that we could make it work. Yeah, let's, let's get into it, Cal. So before we talk a lot more about the Letter of Intent story, I think it'll be good to give a bit of perspective to the listeners about you. Tell us, what, what were you doing before Letter of Intent? All right, I'll give you like my quick background that goes back way back when, but like used to be in banking at Macquarie, that took me to San Francisco, joined an early stage startup out there. Um, and then immediately before Letter of Intent, I was building my own startup. It was a fitness tech platform. It's called Unpodio. Um, basically, we were powering a lot of the virtual fitness classes that were like taking place, particularly over COVID. So in a weird, perverse way, we were a big beneficiary of the COVID situation, like all the gyms and studios were closing, all the instructors and fitness professionals still, still need to make you know, money and, and earn a living. So Onpodio basically was like the one simple way where you could, as a fitness instructor, set up a website, um, manage bookings, publish your schedule, um, and sort of basically run Zoom fitness classes. Uh, and so that's what I was building, um, had a team of like five or six people, um, and then just prior to sort of starting a letter of intent, I was sort of in the pro- process of selling that um, to one of our competitors out in the US who had raised like a ton of venture capital money. Uh, and they sort of came knocking, looking for a, a way to sort of like combine forces and, and sort of capture the growth that we were capturing or, or delivering. 
Um, and yeah, so sort of went that through that process like early 2021 um, and then sort of closed the deal in July or maybe August of 2021, um, which sort of overlaps with that when I started Letter of Intent. Now, when, when I hear that, the next step is not a newsletter. Like you don't sell a <laughs> startup and go into a newsletter or even yeah. a media business of any form, right? I'm similar. People ask me all the time going, how did you start the podcast? And it was quite random. I was out of work and I wanted to do something of my own. Think, yeah. When you think back to 20, you mentioned 2021, like can you take us back to that moment when the idea first came into your mind to start a newsletter? Yeah, so actually, like, the the very first uh, version of a letter, letter of intent that I published was, like, actually December 2020, I think. Um, and this was, like, a bit of, like, a bored COVID lockdown situation where I was, like, every day just felt the same. I was waking up. I was working on Ontario. I sort of I couldn't go outside, couldn't catch up with friends. What everyone everyone felt during that sort of like harsh lockdowns. I was in Melbourne at this point, so it was in those like harsh lockdowns. Um, I was like, I need something else to do just to like, as a bit of creative outlet. So I started a letter of intent then, published the first thing. It was a very different format to what it is today. It was like much more longer form, deep dives on deals uh, with the same sort of like sarcastic tone to it <laughs> that letter of intent has today, but it was much more like longer form. Um, I had made this commitment to myself that I do it every week that sort of fizzled out pretty quickly. I think I did it for like two or three weeks consistently. And then it was like every other month, but, um, but basically like the reason I guess like I had spent six years uh, prior to coming back to Melbourne in San Francisco. And when I was in San Francisco, the first thing I did every morning was read morning brew and read a, mm. like a number of publications from Axios. Um, and yeah, when I came back to Australia, I was like, why is this product not here? Like, where do I get the same sort of content that covers the Australian markets like those products did? And um, that was really like the sort of light bulb moment of like, well, someone should try this um, and create this. And, you know, given I'm, uh, I was a former banker, I'm still like a bit of a deal junkie and then love to follow the markets and like invest and trade reasonably aggressively. Um, so, that was a topic that I was like passionate about um, and sort of was probably the only thing that I could intelligently talk about. Um, and so that's why I sort of started Letter of Intent covering specifically like M&A, ECM and VC news. We were laughing about this prior to going on record that a lot of people start a newsletter or a podcast, but very few take off and, and get scale. Yeah. And the part that I'm always intrigued by in the creator space is discovery and awareness. Because yeah. like you said, got an idea nowadays everyone everyone's uh, doing a side hustle but very very few get to the scale that you're at tell us about the early days about getting discovery or even your process around the seriousness behind it because it's kind of like now in hindsight it's easy to connect the dots but in the moment did you get those signals in the first three months or did you have people reaching out like when did that traction start yeah so i mean so now that I think back on it, like the original version that I published in December 2020, which was like the longer form deep dives, um, that so that basically had like maybe 20 or 30 of my close friends were, were reading that. Um, and it didn't really grow, but people enjoyed it. Um, mm. And then that's why I think I sort of fizzled out 
doing publishing that. So it's like doing it a weekly, I, was, I became very inconsistent very quickly. Um, it was only around July where, you know, I think I was like reading up on Morning Brew a little bit and listening to, you know, some of the like podcasts that the founders there published. And, you know, one of the things that they talked about is the importance of like building a habit for the consumer. Um, and that's sort of when I like changed tact and was like, let's not do the longer form letter of intent, let's do a short form and deliver it daily where it becomes habitual for the reader to like read this every day. And so, uh, so yeah, so then in July, I sort of went daily and it was a bit nerve wracking having that commitment, like putting that commitment on yourself. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I have to like to create a habit. I have to create a habit for myself as well. Where it's like, I have to do this thing every morning. Um, and, and yeah, I, I guess like I'd say it, uh, it took off better than in the original version took off, um, in the sense of like, okay, all of a sudden like 50 people tended to 150 over you know, the span of like a week or two. Um, and yeah, I guess like there were, there was small signals that like this was getting shared a lot more and people were expecting it and were reading it and like, you know, the open rates were quite good. Um, and you know, there was a lot of feedback coming back from like some of the readers who, uh, you know, were just like appreciative of, of the content and, and enjoying it. Um, so yeah, so I guess like it just slowly started to build on itself. Um, but really it was like when I started to like play around with LinkedIn where I found like a bit of a growth engine that was beyond just the organic sharing. So do you mean you, you were promoting actively on LinkedIn and people who didn't know you found you through LinkedIn? Yeah, so so I think like one, one of the things, I, I don't know if I've, I mentioned this, but like I was anonymous. At this point, I had turned it into an anonymous thing. So I had mm. removed any reference to my name everywhere. I don't even know if the who is like records even said my name. Like I was mm. I sort of went dark for a bit. Um, so the only thing I was doing, so because like I wasn't like leveraging my own brand or my own name um, or my own, you know, LinkedIn connections to like really grow it. The thing that I was doing was like, proactively putting content on LinkedIn, like iterative processes around seeing what worked. Um, and I think just generally like the thing that I discovered quickly is like, there's not like, not many people are publishing like original content for LinkedIn. Mm. Um, people are like resharing things on LinkedIn, but no one actually creates content for LinkedIn. Um, and I think that is where, you know, it's been a bit of a golden goose in terms of like finding a path to like getting more eyeballs and attention um, onto the LinkedIn page, which then naturally eventually converts people into subscribers of the newsletter. I'm keen to come back to LinkedIn, so we'll put a pin on that. But if we talk about your growth from that July period, was there a, a moment there that you knew this was working? Because I'm assuming one of the things that would happen is you'd get this sort of hockey stick growth, but then you could plateau out or people go, cool, this is good, but trying to get that attention ongoing can be challenging. Like one of the things I hear often with podcasting, people say is you've got too much content, I can't keep up. Um, yeah. Emails, people get, particularly with emails, people get so many emails. It's like trying to read it every morning. You've got to be really religious with your own habits. Yep. Tell me about that. Like did you, when did you know it was working and how did you measure that? I think probably the one thing that was like an immeasurable way that I thought that gave me like a signal that it was working was like the number of people reaching out. So I think like mm. pretty early on. Anonymously. To your anonymous yeah, email. Exactly. So people were just emailing into the hey at letter of intent. You email me mm. like, 
who are you and I want to like have a chat with you. Um, and candidly, it was like most of them were like venture capitalists, like it was all the, the big VC firms were like, like basically we were curious, like what's your plan? Um, right. And I typically at that, at that point, I was having those conversations with those individuals. Um, so they were sort of getting a, a bit of a reveal as to who I actually was. But I think that was like- Oh, so you did tell them who you were in those calls? Yeah, so for most of those conversations, I, I remember I had a conversation with um, Nick Crocker at Blackbird, and mm-hmm. I was like, anonymous, 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 and then we had the phone call, and it's like, so what do I call you, like, Mr. X, or, or what? <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's let's actually just use my real name, I'm Cal, like, <laughs> this is getting all beyond, like, a bit of a joke and a bit of a laugh, so, um, so yeah, typically I was actually, like, eventually using my name, but I was like, you know, just let's keep it under wraps for now, because I think it started to create a bit of a marketing like curiosity in, in and of itself where people are like who is this person um and i think that like that curiosity like helped a little bit from a growth perspective um but but yeah i think it was like that i think it was like there was a lot of just you know people reaching out curious to meet and see who i was um and then also just like there was a good amount of feedback of readers being like you know this is refreshing this is engaging i read this every morning um and so, like, beyond just the metrics of, like, subscriber growth, I think that was, you know, a, a strong signal that, like, the content's differentiated, unique, and people are, like, engaging with it um, strongly. And at this point, were you full-time into it? No. So, I only went full-time as of January this year, so January 2022. Um, at this point and up until end of December, I was, like, part-time. And by part-time, I mean, like, late nights at 7 o'clock, uh, you know, opening up the laptop and, and punching it out um, and typically going to bed at like 1 a.m. 1 um, so you're saying so it yeah. took about five hours of work each night? Yeah, so it's just like uh, aggregating a lot of the news can be like, just it's just a bit of a time-consuming process. Writing the like BFD, which is like the one bit of like mm. chunky news, is, um, it takes longer than I think most people would give it credit for. Like it's... Um, I think it's actually it's quite hard to be brief it's very easy to write something long and just write everything mm. but i think the value of the email and the value of that bfd section is it just gives you the four or five bullets of like what do you need to know what do you need to care about and like ignores the fluff and it also offers a bit of a perspective which some days is easy because if it covers a tech company or a uh, tech m a or a vc startup raising capital like Oftentimes, I have like a strong perspective or an opinion that I can like offer up. But if it's like BHP bought a coal mine in you know in Brazil, like I, I'm not as close to that market and and that sort of industries. And so that's me like t- typically messaging a bunch of friends who are sort of in the resources space, being like, "What's the interesting point from this?" And like, um, you know, what's something intelligent I can write? Um, so it's a little bit more research that has to go into it. Because I was actually going to ask you about the filtration process because there'd be there's so much news content, like you said earlier, trying to distill it into a quick one-pager that people find interesting. I imagine that's probably one of the biggest challenges even now. Yeah, I think actually, so because like LOI right now is very narrowly focused on like M&A, ECM, like capital raisings and, and startup like raisings. And so the Australian market, like last year was obviously very hot and there was a lot of activity. I think this year is like a little bit slower. So actually, some days it's some days it's like not nothing meaningful that's like happened. No big deal has been announced, or no big capital raising has been announced. Um, 
So because it's like quite narrowly focused, that's the challenge is actually oftentimes the other way where it's like, what's what's the thing to write about today? Like, you know, if, if no one's raised a, a big round and no one's done a big M&A deal, then um, there might not be anything to write about. So um, the curation is actually not that bad. And, and tell me about the frequency of it. Like, I think my understanding is you do it five days a week. So it's on week weekdays. Now that, I know Morning Brew do it, but they've got a massive team behind them that do it. You see a lot of Substack newsletters, particularly in the US, where they do a deep dive once a month or once a fortnight, something of that frequency. Was that a conscious decision to do want to do it five days a week to be a newspaper athlete, but in a, in a new form? Yeah, so I think it was definitely like, because basically LOI had, had V1 and V2 and V1 was the weekly version. And um, as I mentioned, like it sort of just didn't create the habit of people being like, I, I need to read this, I, I have to read this. It was a nice to read and that was sort of the feedback I got where people were like, this is nice, but like the information's already, already a little bit outdated. Um, and so it wasn't a must read. Um, so the decision to go daily and do it you know, Monday through uh, Friday was one, to create the habit uh, to, to serve utility. So it's like, here's everything that you need to know that happened over the last 24 hours to start your job at 8.30 in the morning. Um, so that was, yeah, so that was very much like an intentional thing. And I think that's been a big reason for sort of the growth today. And talk to the conversion and call to action element of it. Like I read your newsletter as often as I can, and there's a lot of links in there and a lot of things people can press on and interact with what's what's that been like because again i i know from some of the things i've done sometimes that call to action can be tricky because people are on the go or they're just skimming through something where they don't click on it and they don't interact they won't fill out a form how have you found that in terms of interacting with the readers and then as you've got sponsors trying to get that conversion i think one of the things that like i'm very conscious of is like the tone and personality of it um i think ally's got a bit of a bit of a strong like voice uh, which is just this like lighthearted, laid back, a little bit um, like very much casual uh, voice to it. So like when it comes to sort of sponsors, one of the big things that we do is make sure that like the copy of the sponsor um, like ad is in that same personality and tone and voice and that just helps conversion for them. Um, and also we're quite selective on like what sponsors we take on. Um, but yeah, I think like the call to action right now, you know, the big thing is, um, you know, we've Try to incentivize referrals. So I think we've like got pretty uh, wide reach across most organizations. And we see, uh, we're now starting to see more depth in those organizations where people are like sharing with their colleagues and stuff like that. And we try to incentivize that with like some free merch um, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think like our big sort of conversion moments have typically come around giveaways that we've done. So we've done like uh, we did something with uh, Ansarada where we gave away a Peloton, which was pretty early on, uh, which was a bit of fun and, and cool and gave away some R.M. Williams shoes and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think like right now we're mostly just like a little bit reliant on like organically people sharing it with their colleagues. Uh, because again, because the idea is that it serves a utility so that it helps you start your job. Um, and, you know, oftentimes we do see people just like naturally sharing it with their with their juniors and their seniors, um, if they're finding value out of it. I'd imagine one of the underrated parts of what you do is you have a year to the ground where a lot of people would tell you a lot of things confidentially or you'd find out things. Talk to that, like how do you 
one is that true do people tell you things to put in the newsletter anonymously or do a do a sort of bonus edition or breaking news and then two how do you decide how much of that gossip and hearsay to put in or do you rely on a mainstream newspaper to first publish it and then you follow yeah we typically follow like so we do get a little bit of like people um sharing some you know, deals and information uh, but like very strictly we don't publish anything that's not already public um mm. just because not sort of really in the game of like speculation and rumors um and also like yeah most of our value is like giving a bit of um a perspective on things that have happened and um and aggregating all the things that have happened um so we sort of leave the sort of the rumors uh to sort of mainstream media and they have teams that go and validate it and get confidence around it um and that's not something that we we, we want to touch yet because yeah we don't have the team to like legally protect us from anything that might be misinformation <laughs> yeah i i kind of think of that there's that page on instagram is it called the aussie grad where they do the a lot grad. of Aussie corporate, that's the one where they've got a huge following, but they get a lot of inside info and they're often the yeah. first one to disclose it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I, don't, I wouldn't say I know the Aussie corporate well I, I, because uh, he or she is still anonymous to me. Um, <laughs> but but we, we speak on the regular and, uh, yeah, he often gets uh, yeah, a lot of insider tips and knowledge. Now, to be maybe be a bit pessimistic, but one of the things I'm always curious about, and I do it as well, is like defensibility and uniqueness. Yeah. Like you talked earlier about Morning Brew, and you've brought it to a new market where in Australia doesn't exist. Now you've got a, a good following; people see what you do. If I be really blunt, it's not hard to copy, right? It, so we can copy it, and the news news is online. How do you look at that as you're growing about having a unique voice and? having that defensibility within your operation? Yeah, I think one of the things that, uh, probably two things, one is like, um, it's hard to like replicate the community. So like, um, mm. candidly, this was a little bit unintentional to begin with, and now, you know, a little bit more intentional is, um, and maybe it comes part of parcel with like the casualness of like the, the way that I write letter of intent, but like there's a strong sort of community sense to letter of intent right now, um, which is a lot of fun. Like. Uh, if I make a mistake, I slip up and stuff. There's plenty of people who give me a hard time and email in. Um, all these giveaways and competitions that we're running and like usually a bit of fun and a bit of creativity to it. Um, so I think there's like a strong community sense to it, which I think is hard to replicate. But also I think as we think about like growing it, the content, we want to do a little bit more of like original like reporting, I said, like in a sense. Um, so, you know, going a little bit deeper on like some of the perspectives and opinions covering a little bit more and um you know moving away from just like literally aggregating links so like there's a big section in, in the email today that's just aggregating links to afr the australian startup daily all the other publications uh, and i think we'll always have that but um we want to start to cover a little bit more of it ourselves as we start to think about like the next evolution of letter of intent um which i think is hard to replicate uh you know i Maybe, maybe I have tickets on myself, but I think it's hard to replicate someone that can like, has the, like, can offer an opinion and perspective on like M&A deals, because typically you have to come from sort of that world once upon a time. And I think very few people make the leap from like banking into journalism as I have. Um, so I, I feel like I'm a, uh, there's a bit of like a unicorn uh, aspect to it, but, um, but yeah, I think the defensibility comes with like going deeper and doing a little bit more original reporting. 
Yeah, it reminds me of a quote I read yesterday from Y Combinator talking about you can copy the structure, but you can't copy the passion and the intent. Yeah. And it's the same with the podcast as well, right? Someone can listen to my episodes and copy the questions and the format, but will they keep it going and will they do it with the same rigor and passion as we are? So, totally. yeah. If we zoom out, Cal, and talk about media broadly, like I'm fascinated because I'm playing a role from a different angle. You're, you're obviously playing a role as well. How do you look at media nowadays? Like you're in Europe at the moment, you've lived in the US, you did this in Australia, you're currently very Australian focused. But if we just step away from letter of intent and talk about media broadly, where where do you see the creator space, whether it's a newsletter or a podcast or a community first Substack platform or something like that going? Like, is there something you feel still missing or is there something awesome that, that you feel people aren't catching on to? So yeah, I think like right now I'm like for like letter of intent, like the next evolution, it's it's really still gonna be very Australia centric and focused. And I think the big thing I the big sort of gap I see in the market is um, if you look at like Australian media, like print media or news media, um, all it's dominated by print media companies. So like mm. um, you know, SMH, the the age, Pelton, all those guys, AFR the Australian, they're still print media companies. Most people probably consume it online and digitally, um, but they still have the legacy infrastructure of being print media companies. Every day they are still publishing something and distributing it to news agents and it has to pass a weight test. Um, and so I think what comes with that is like, obviously just the infrastructure costs of that, but also like, um, you know, they can't sort of separate out sort of the 80, 20 of where like the value might be from that physical newspaper today. So I think that's like a bit of an opportunity where um, you know, building a media publication ground up that's like digital only and digital first um, is the opportunity I see for the Australian market. And also just like adapting it for, for some of the behavioral changes that I think um, like these, the new generation is or has. So like generally I'd say like shorter attention spans. Um, so people just need to know a lot more in a lot less time in the newer generations um, and as a result I think people just don't read like full articles anymore I think the stat is like 80% of people read the headline 95% of people read the headline and skim the rest of the article and only 5% of people typically read an article like word for word top, top to bottom um, particularly on email particularly on email even I think like digital like you know online websites and stuff like that so um, I you know I, I think just again because of like the legacy of that, um, the legacy that like some of the traditional print media companies have, it's going to be hard for them to adapt to that. And I think that's why like the style of letter of intent, as you know, is is very short and punchy. It's like literally like the one article that's in the email is like four or five bullets. And um, and yeah, that's sort of like, that's the reason for that. But like the brevity of it is like something that I think people really, really appreciate. Um, and then I think just people like just engage with brands very differently. Um, and this again, I think comes back to like new, younger generations, millennials, Gen Zs, like they don't want to be sort of like told the news. They want to be part of something mm. like, they want to be sort of part of the brand and the community. Um, and again, I think that, that's, that's why like LOI, I think has resonated where it's like the casual lighthearted tone where it's like the email is written almost as a, like a friend, a mate of yours has sent it to you. And it's like, here's my thoughts, like, or here's the news. And it's not like 
old school, like, um, it's not poetic, that's for sure, uh, in how it's like delivered. It's much Shakespearean English or anything. It's, yeah. it's very just visual and like, um, yeah, just has the, yeah, has a, has a sort of a tone of personality that I think it resonates. Um, so I think that's, those are like three or four things where it's hard for like some of the traditional media companies to, to shift and pivot just because they, it's so ingrained, like how they've been doing it for the last century is how they'll probably keep doing it for the next yeah. century. <laughs> and, sure. um, and I think that's sort of probably the gap I see in the market when it comes to particular news media, which is what I'm sort of focused on. And, and to your point, they're connecting with us as creators, whereas uh, at news.com.au, you don't know who the person is, you connect with the brand. So completely, completely agree. We've got a few minutes left, so let's do a rapid fire round. I've got some community questions here, people that are very, very curious to ask you a few things. Sure. First one, what what are you most worried about at the moment with letter of intent or just generally with what you're building? I think probably the, the hardest thing is actually uh, is hiring. So um, right now looking to like hire um, first editor, first writers, um, and sort of as I mentioned, sort of like finding that person who um, has the background knowledge around deals and M&A and basically can write to that and has a passion and interest for that. A bunch of people that I asked questions for, the common question was around monetization. And then I, I personally as well don't like talking about it. So I'm not going to ask you how much you make because that I think is a very personal point. But can you can you give some color to that broadly? Because I, I think people are very curious about that. And we were laughing about it just before being on record that people look at a newsletter and go, how do you make, how do you live off that and how do you build a business around it? So can yeah. you give some color to that? Yeah, sure. So I think, um, so one of the things about like letter on as it stands today is the audience is young professionals who typically work in like sort of finance and finance related industries. It's like bankers, consultants, lawyers, venture uh, capitalists, practically people. So while the audience is like relatively small, so right now we have, I think 6,300-ish subscribers, um, it's a pretty unique audience that many call it fintech brands in particular, like want to get in front of. Um, and it's like, there's nowhere else that people can get in front of them. So today the our sort of model is just like, we have a daily sponsor um, who sponsors the email. Um, and yeah, like I think just given how targeted we can be um, in terms of the audience and the demographic of that audience, that means that we can sort of like go to very specific brands as well and, and you know, sort of get them in front of an attractive audience for them. And last one, Cal, a lot of people are intrigued to listen to this because they want to pick up secrets about how to start a newsletter. And I always say there's no playbook to it. You kind of have to be unique and, and be yourself. But if you had to give one piece of advice to a listener that they should do with their newsletter, what would that be? I'll give two. One is be niche, niche down. Like, Letter of Intent is a newsletter about predominantly M&A deals. Like, <laughs> when you think about that, like, it's a little bit absurd. Like, who who would think to, like, A, write it and B, to read that? I mean, like, I need, I want to read a newsletter about an M&A, M&A deals every day. Um, but there's a market for it. Like, just because I knew from my personal experiences that that's something that I, I read as a banker, it meant that I could sort of, that I knew that there was a demand for it. I think the second opinion, uh, second, um, but the feedback I would give is LinkedIn. Like, I, I maybe harp on a bit about it, but I think LinkedIn is a untapped um, like marketing channel. Uh, Instagram, I think, is very hard. Twitter's quite noisy. LinkedIn is the one where 
if you look at your own feed, you'll see that again, most people are like resharing things or announcing that they you know change jobs or, or whatever it is. But um, if you can create content for it uh, in like a bite-sized format, then I think it's a very uh, it's a great way to sort of get exposure and build your brand because there's a there's a massive viral coefficient to it that um, I think people underestimate. And I think I'd say it's very situational. Like if I talk about my podcast, text doesn't work as well as video. Like if I do a 15 yeah. second video clip, that gets a lot more engagement than anything in text does. But again, I think it's back to what he said earlier. What does your brand stand for? You're a text yeah. first newsletter was I'm an audio and a video platform. So yeah. I think that'd be my biggest piece of advice to listeners is don't just copy paste what letter of intent or what I'm doing. Try yeah. your own and find your own moat. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Good note to end on, Cal. I'm glad, so glad we did this. Um, super excited to see where you go and super excited for this writer that's joining your team. So yeah. I wish you well, mate, and keep in touch. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I hope you've taken away some valuable insights from this conversation to apply to your lives and continue to be 1% better every day. And stay tuned for the next episode in this Curiosity series where we take you inside another topic company or industry.